Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff and sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Uh, joined, of course, with Tom Doran. Tom, how's it going? I'm wonderful today. How are you? You look wonderful, Tom. Thank you. We've got the uh, Franciscan Friars of the Renewal with us again. We always love to, to speak to How the Friars. How can you not feel good? That's it. They make you feel good, don't they? They do. I'm telling you. Well, we have a, a wonderful Friar here with us today. This is Father Harold Joseph Brock, uh, one of the priests for the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. And so, Father Harold, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you here, and we thought you'd be the perfect guest to talk about our topic today. We thought we'd sort of delve into all things African. (laughs) We want to talk about the church in Africa. Mm. A lot of people, well, from my personal perspective, I had a a, a blessing, an opportunity to visit Africa for one brief little stint uh, in what was Zaire, now back Mm. to Congo again. Beautiful people that I Mm. met in this little 10-day visit. But most people, their experience, maybe a Catholic's experience uh, of Africa, is really maybe that uh, Nigerian priest that mission priest that comes sure. to their parish and stays mm-hmm. for a little while. And then also maybe we all sort of see those TV commercials that, or we can feed the starving children for 25 cents a day. And we've seen that we mm-hmm. see the compassion mm-hmm. and, and we see those things, but we don't always really have a real grasp of what's going on in, in Africa, especially with the church. Well, I'd be happy to try to offer my own uh, perspective, my own experience of the continent of Africa. And that's, it's important to remember uh, that Africa is a continent with over 40 countries. It's huge. It's enormous. Uh, with a population of almost 950 million people, it'll cross the 1 billion mark uh, at some point in the very near future. And that Christianity has a long history St. Augustine, whose feast we would have celebrated on Sunday, was an African. I'll tell you a little story. Um, We were doing a youth retreat in a place called Kisumu in western Kenya, right on Lake Victoria. And uh, it was for a boarding school that was actually founded by Dominicans from the United States for economically disadvantaged uh, youth from that area, from that tribal group. And so I was talking to one of the young uh, students there, kind of a very... um, Perky, very uh, little smart alecky, but spunky. not in a bad way. Spunky. Spunky, spunky. is the perfect word. <laughs> and he was going on, and he happened to slip into the conversation. He said, well, when Jesus was in Africa, and I said, wait a minute, Joseph. Jesus, he never was in Africa. I was thinking it was some bizarre thing, you know, kind of where Jesus was teleported. He said, well, isn't it true that he spent some time in Egypt? Ah. And I said, Good Joseph, you're right. Jesus was in Africa. And from that point on has remained in Africa from the ancient establishment of the church along the Mediterranean coast in places like uh, Ethiopia. So long, long history of the church there. I'm familiar mostly with the East Africa area and particularly uh, the Sudan. I was blessed to spend two and a half years there. And actually, I'll be very shortly making another trip to Africa to visit several countries. I know there's lots of exciting stuff going on there in terms of the church. Maybe some some statistics that would help us understand really what's going on uh, with the church, with the Catholic Church there in in, uh, in Africa. Sure. The uh, It's so important that there was a special synod for, of bishops on the topic of the church in Africa in 2009. And it was a moment for the church to stop and kind of look at the reality there. Uh, The church has grown by 60 million people since 1994. Um, And that that growth is uh, represented in all the sectors of the church. Since that time, there are 100 new dioceses. 
um, and obviously as many new bishops. There are 10,000 more priests than there were in 1994, wow. 15,000 more religious. Uh, there are, just to give you an idea of institutions, 12,500 Catholic nursery schools with 1,260,000 students. Wow. 33,250 primary schools with 14 million students. 10,000 Catholic secondary schools with 4 million students. And 23 Catholic universities. That serves a total of more than 20 million uh, young people in Africa. That's the educational commitment of the church. Um, and because of the church's commitment to education, the church at this point represents about 17% of the population on the continent. But a disproportionately large number of social of uh, civil servants and people in positions of influence are Catholic because of that, uh, the church's commitment to education. So it is a continent that humanly and spiritually is exploding with life. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are surprised by that, even though I know we hear every once in a while that the church is thriving there in that region, that explosive growth, as you're, as you're calling it, explosive. And it's beautiful to see uh, that the church is alive and well there, in fact, flourishing. And to compare that with maybe our own personal experience in our little diocese, maybe in the United States of America or in, if you're listening in Europe, things aren't going as well, are they? Yes, and that, that has to do partly with a, a mentality or a disposition to, to hear the Word of God and to respond to the Word of God. Africans are a very, very religious people. Um, perhaps one of the disadvantages of living in a very sophisticated culture is that it can be very easy to be distracted uh, from, from the reality distracted yeah. from reality because anytime we stop and we're in touch with reality nature the mystery of another person the mystery of ourselves the mystery of god looms behind that right and i'm not talking about a supernatural mystical experience i'm talking about living life with our eyes open and our hearts open and africans do that and they uh, there was a study by the pew forum a very well-known organization that studies religiosity aspects of religion and according to that study, in many African countries, nine out of ten people would say that religion and God has a very important place in their life. Now, the United States does better than a lot of other countries. Here it's about 56%. That would be 56% saying that they're religious in some way or spiritual in some way. That they but that it plays an important part in their life. Okay. About half, a little more than half. But in some European countries, including countries that would, have, would be considered traditionally Catholic, Poland, for example... Right. 33%. What about Italy? We think Italy, that's where the Pope lives, right? 24%. Yeah, wow. see. And England, and perhaps it's not so surprising in light of some of the events that are unfolding there, 19%. That's depressing. So you, so you can see how that predisposition uh, makes their hearts fertile ground for the seed of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, now, so we look at that and we, and we wonder, now, is if, if, if the Catholic Church is thriving... Is that the only thing that's thriving in that region? <laughs> are there other things that are, uh, that are thriving? Well, certainly Africa is in the, in the news a lot. Um, first of all, religiously, uh, alongside Christianity, there's been explosive growth in Islam. Uh, above, of the 900 million people with uh, religious identification other than traditional religions, about half of those would uh, identify themselves as Muslim and half as Christian. Um, and that number is going to grow to a saturation point at a, at a certain moment. Uh, the, the continent will be half Christian and half Islam. 
We have a low-flying airplane coming over the Catholic Cafe right Incoming. now. Incoming. That's beautiful. Well, maybe they'll throw a care package out to us. Yeah. And, uh, we need some more coffee. Maybe we'll just hand delivered. it to us. What are you talking about? Well, let me ask you this, Father. Do we see something, though, here in, in what may be at some point of saturation, as you, as you, as you call it, that uh, at something... At some point in time, that there's there's going to be have to be some kind of give and take, or some kind of understanding, or some kind of dialogue. Absolutely, Africa will be the testing ground for religious coexistence. I know um, that some people look at the United States of America, they look at what's going on here, and maybe they look at uh, uh, Islam and they and they think, well, that's different than what I believe, but it's really not any kind of. It's not in my face. In other words, I don't necessarily have to deal with it. I can keep doing what I do. And then I think in Europe, I think they're experiencing even a more mm-hmm. rapid growth at this point in time. And, and so Europe as a culture is, is, um, is struggling mm-hmm. uh, to maintain its identity. Um, so what are we going to, to look at what's going on in Africa? Are we able to sort of maybe for ourselves see something there? Well, two factors that both Christians and Muslims would share in Africa that perhaps could shed a little bit of light on what's happening in our own culture is, first of all, a very strong degree of religious commitment. Uh, religion is serious. It shapes their life. It motivates people. Uh, there is a missionary aspect, and that's why we have the African priests that you're, you're speaking about here. They're studying, but they're also serving as missionaries in mm. our country. And the second factor is openness to life. Uh, traditionally in Africa, among both Christians and Muslims, children are gifts from God. They are Amen. received with joy. If you have a big family, you are blessed. Psalm 127. Amen. And that factor has caused both of those faiths to grow apace. And that's what causes the disproportion in Europe. You have uh, Muslims, and you have to admire their commitment. In Tariq, where I lived, at 5 o'clock in the morning, the lights were on with the mosque, which meant their generator was on. Right. And there were men praying there. Laymen, not clerics, not Muslim friars, laymen coming to honor God. That takes a commitment. That's discipline. And with that degree of, of religious fervor and that openness to life, uh, that run circles around. Right, just, just do the numbers. Exactly. And you will figure it out. Now, why do you suppose that there is this openness to religiosity from the African people? You'd mentioned a little bit about maybe they had a simpler life and it was just uh, easier to, to, to grasp that. But do you, do, you, do you see that as the main reason why they're more uh, right now prone to be uh, a religious, spiritual people? I think it has to do with the question of priorities. Uh, what really is most important in our lives? Um, and for Africans, people are important. They're more important than schedules. They're more important than efficiency. Uh, also, there is this awareness. And, you know, it's true for us as well. We're just a step or two removed from that mm. of our dependence on nature. Uh, that, that God has, if St. Francis called her Mother Earth, recognizing that God feeds us through the fruitfulness. And one of the interesting things that's happening in Africa is that countries, European countries and Asian countries are buying large tracts of land to cultivate crops there. Even the land is fertile in Africa. And that awareness, and it really is, to use a fancy term, it's a metaphysical awareness. With most Africans, you don't have to argue about the existence of God. It's a self-evident fact. From their own life, the life of other people, the reality of nature. Mystery has not been banished from, uh, although they wouldn't exactly use that language, right. but the awareness is there. And that's why if you show up with a religious message, people are responsive. We did some events of public evangelization with very little advance notice. 
and would get th- several thousand people showing up hmm. to watch a movie on the life of Jesus. And hmm. very beautifully, with the help of uh, an organization called the Jesus Film, that language was in the local tribal language of Amen. those people. And when the, when the angel greeted Mary, people clapped. When Jesus drove wow. out demons, people cheered. It was, and children were just captivated by, by this reality. And that's why, if I can make a little pitch for, for, for missionary commitment and service, a lot of times it comes down to who shows up. Not necessarily the most talented or the best funded, who shows up. Well, we're going to talk more about showing up in Africa in, in just a moment. Before we do that, we want to take a, a quick break. Remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we will be right back. I'm Bester Zemsky, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Monica is a North African saint who has inspired millions of Catholics to pray and hope for their family members who have fallen away from or who have never even approached the Church of Christ. She was married at an early age to a man of her parents' choosing. Her spouse was a pagan man with a secure income and an exalted position within the community. Unfortunately, he lacked integrity and basic virtue. He was unfaithful to their marital vows and abusive. A biographer of St. Monica's wrote, She knew, she saw, but she kept quiet and suffered in silence. She prayed and probably wept, but realized that the religion of the pagans condoned great moral degradation. Like so many women of her time, she had nowhere in the world to turn. So instead, she turned heavenward to the help of the Almighty. And help he did. St. Monica was so well known for her deep inner peace and holiness that she began to counsel other women who had unfaithful and wayward husbands. Because of her great witness to the love of Christ in her own life, her husband eventually renounced sin and became a Christian. He died soon after his conversion and left St. Monica with her children. One of her children was the famous St. Augustine of Hippo, who had completely renounced the Christian faith of his upbringing and was living a dissolute life. The saintly woman prayed, encouraged, and pleaded with her son, like any good mother is apt to do. She followed him from their home in North Africa to Rome, and finally to Milan. St. Monica prayed to God on her son's behalf for many, many years. She never lost hope, and she never stopped praying. After many turbulent years in the lives of both St. Monica and St. Augustine, her prayers were answered. St. Augustine is now one of the greatest and most revered fathers and doctors of the Church. Many of our stories are not as dramatic as St. Monica's or St. Augustine's, but we can all learn from her persistence and filial love. Family and friends have left or avoided the loving arms of the church for many and various reasons, but they all come back for the same reason, the experience of Christ's powerful love. St. Monica is a great witness to this love of Jesus Christ. Her persistence and gentle patience are a roadmap for our own lives and conversions. St. Monica's feast day is August 27th. 
I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here, of course, with our guest, Father Harold, uh, one of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, one of their wonderful priests that uh, goes out and uh, he herald, he's the herald of the gospel, uh, hence the name. That's right. right. Um, And so, Father Harold, we were just talking about all the uh, awesome stuff going on in uh, there in Africa, and we talked a little bit about why maybe this this need for religion, this need for God is so prevalent in that society. Is there something we can garner from that as a, a Western culture? Most of the people who are listening to the show are probably listening on their little iPod or their mm. radio or, mm. or whatever gadget. Uh, and praise God for that, by the way, anyone who happens to be listening. <laughs> that's a wonderful thing. Uh, but is there something to learn about that sort of more simple life there in Africa? Well, let me say, first of all, I think that's a, a really excellent question because one of the pitfalls that we can fall into with regard to developing countries is a certain condescension that we really have all the answers and that it's a one-way relationship. We're going to come and give you the material things that you need. We're going to make you like us and then everything is going to be fine. When actually uh, imperialism and that whole colonialism has helped set the stage for many of the conflicts that Africa is experiencing at this time. So to ask the question, what can I learn from them, Mm. puts us in in a mutuality. And that's always true with missionary work. We bring the message of the gospel But the Holy Spirit has always been there ahead of us. And we find the seeds of the gospel. We find human values. So it's always this beautiful interchange. Um, You know, technology is sold. One of the things that, that, that sells it is that it's supposed to help us keep in closer touch with people. But one of the things that I've observed is what it does is it tends to have people who are in the same place at the same time not communicate with each other. Yeah. It seems like it's always more urgent that I'm talking to the person who's miles away from me, that I'm emailing me somebody who's in a different place, but I'm not being present to the person who is standing We in have all been me. in that store, and we're, we're next in line at the counter, and then they take a phone call. <laughs> exactly. And you think, well, hey, I'm, I'm right here. And I guess we can see that in our interpersonal relationships. I remember a scene in an airport where a, a, a man and a woman were sitting beside each other. They were obviously a couple. Perhaps they were married. And they were both talking on their cell phones to different people. Yep. Now, this is going back a number of years, so maybe it's now it's hardly even noticed. But I remember being struck by that. Two people who were sitting right beside each other talking to different people who weren't anywhere around them. And... Technology is, as you said, it's a great gift. The the Holy Father uses it. But it has a seduction. And I I remember reading recently a particular college or university was orienting their professors for this incoming class. And I guess this is the purely digital class. They grew up from their earliest conscious memories with the Internet and this whole digital reality. There, There were two factors that they said that were really predominant. One was a lack of empathy. Mm. And a very large percentage of these young people had broken off a relationship through some form of social media. They didn't even bother to show up to say, I don't want to see you anymore. They didn't even even see them to say, I don't want to see you anymore. And then secondly, it had to do with this fragmented attention. And that's maybe one of the things, those two things we can learn from Africans is to to allow our our attention to be focused. And that's where prayer is so important, and the way that we live helps us to pray. 
Uh, we use that word a day of recollection, right? Right. Uh, that bit, because we're scattered. We're fragmented. I got to pull myself back together. And the most powerful unifying uh, force is really the, the person, the presence, the love of God. And that's where Eucharistic adoration even has such a, it just, and the rays coming out from the monstrance, mm. it just draws you right in to the center of everything. Yeah, the real presence, and that's and that's so uh, vital to our Catholic theology and the understanding of the incarnation, and to know that Jesus is really there. I mean, Jesus, when God created us, he, he created us to live in community, to live with each other. Absolutely. And so, obviously, when we turn our backs on each other, there's we're turning our backs on God in a sense. And it happens very subtly with technology. How often do we view somebody who's speaking to me and physically as an interruption to what I'm doing technically? Right. Or how often does it happen when you're talking face-to-face with somebody and the cell phone goes off? It could be something very insignificant, but there's this urgency to answer the cell phone. Tom, I've just been convicted. I don't know about you. <laughs> Father Harold, you're going to have to hear my confession after the show. <laughs> that's, no, that's, that's beautiful, and we can learn that from our, our African friends. And you know, it's a, yes, to, to try to, to do one thing at a time. Multitasking can be helpful, but it has a price. Amen. If we can become split personalities without ending up, you know, with in an extreme form, but are, are are we ever kind of focusing on one thing at one time, especially a person, our spouse, our children, our parents? And speaking of confession, that's one of the beautiful option opportunities there is the confessor gives his full attention and a lot of times that's what moves people to come to confession. No one will listen to them. Hmm. No, there's no one to unburden themselves with. And even when it's painful, like something like sin, there is, and it's such an affirmation. Right. And, and that's really mercy is God saying, even with your sins, I still love you. I see past your sins. I see into the you that I made. And, and in, through the gift of the priest, they, they feel that presence. They literally, you know, they hear the words. They're breathed upon them, you know, and that forgiveness then is done in a real and physical way. And it can't be done by technology. There you go. You can't do it over <laughs> the phone. There's an app to prepare for confession. But you can't do it. Not, that's exactly right. Father, let's, let's sort of uh, now talk a little bit about what your experience recently. You spent a couple of years in the Sudan. That's right. Tell yeah. us about that. It was uh, really one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, Sudan, before it divided, uh, and just to, to be clear, the Republic of South Sudan is the world's newest country. It became completely independent, a sovereign state, on July 9th, after a very painful history. Um, Sudan, w- together with Egypt, was a British protectorate. It became independent in 1956. Even before it became independent, the first stirrings of the civil war of the first civil war took place, and it was a war largely divided on ethnic and religious lines. Um, so it's a, a tumultuous place. It's had a, a, a rough history. Suffered very, very deeply. And so, after two civil wars, there was an agreement of a six-year interim period. The southern Sudanese voted in referendum as to whether they wanted to remain part of the north or form a separate country. Uh, They voted 99% in favor of separation. And there was a lot of concern. Just a few months before, people were saying it's impossible. It can't happen logistically. There's going to be another war. A religious sister, an American religious sister, had an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 101 days of prayer. And people grabbed onto that. Amen. Hundreds, thousands of people throughout the South were praying daily 
for the gift of peace, a peaceful referendum. And I have to tell you that the, the referendum began on a Sunday morning, and I left our little compound to drive up into a remote mountain village, and I passed probably six or eight referendum posts where people were voting. It was amazing. Men and women, old and young, literate and illiterate, people waiting in line for hours, what they were going to do for the first time in their life, doing it peacefully, doing it with dignity, doing it with respect and backed by this testimony and, and prayer force of the church. That's beautiful. It was amazing, just amazing. And the problems are not solved. Uh, there's still a lot of, of things to deal with and still a significant amount of tension between the North and the South and violence in other areas of, of Sudan. But what took place there was really a miracle of grace. Mm. So what do our listeners glean from all this and, and and what can we do i mean we we do we are we just bystanders when it comes to what's going on in africa well the church is our family they are our brothers and sisters they're a younger church with uh much fewer resources uh there is a great need and the word i want to use is accompaniment it's not for us to do things for them it's not for us to tell them how to do things but it's to walk with them and to the extent that it's possible to share our resources with them we can become concerned about really relatively petty things. Uh, where I was in Tory Town, there is not even a Catholic church with a roof. Mm. With the help of our benefactors, we were able to build a small chapel where the Blessed Sacrament is reposed, where people have, where they can bring their suffering, their grief, their problems, their worries. It's called the House of Mercy. Uh, but if you're if you're arguing about the color of the choir gowns, yeah. So perhaps we can reevaluate even as a church some of our priorities in light of the deep needs. And I don't think missionary service or missionary travel should be ruled out for anyone. Blessed Pope John Paul II wanted to see and said there would be a revival of the missionary impulse of the church. If that's going to happen now, it will include significantly and maybe even predominantly the involvement of the laity. Amen. So those are our marching orders. And I imagine we can offer so much prayerful support absolutely of what's going on for peace for unity uh and for uh, a flourishing of the church in all areas and not prematurely say there's no answer to this situation Amen. the sudanese it looked impossible they prayed 101 days and what seemed impossible took place hmm. thank you so much uh father harold for giving us this little insight into what's going on in africa right now with the church i, I know uh, our listeners appreciate it and we'll continue to pray for the people of africa but also pray that we'll open up our hearts and minds a little bit to maybe learn a little bit from from our african faithful amen so could you uh maybe do us the honor of a uh, blessing here i'd be very happy to god our father you sent your son jesus uh, to save us to give us life and with him you sent the holy spirit you have given us these gifts of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you send us with them into the world to be your witnesses. Help us to be radiant witnesses of the gospel. Help us to recognize uh, our family members in the church throughout the world. Help us to be magnetic in drawing everyone to your Son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. 
there's always room for one more at our table. 